Welcome back to Rob Gill's Epic Financial Strategies Podcast. If you like what you're hearing and want to learn how to take action on your financial future, click the link in our bio to speak to us directly. To learn more about how you can achieve financial freedom, subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow Rob Gill all over social media. Financial freedom awaits. You know, what's amazing is when I first had my scale or my first wave of financial success, and, and it was really the model of how to increase your marketing strategy to bring more clients to the front door. And it was very well. What I didn't have, and I was always told to do it, was a legal arm to what you do. As you build your business and as you continue to innovate and elevate, you know, we do live in a litigious society and there are mistakes that are made. In all honesty, it happens. And if you don't have a legal arm, what may cost you by not having it is going to cost you so much more in the future. And that was one of the beautiful challenges that happened to me back in 11, 12, 13, all the way launching into 15, which then led to my rebirth in 2017 and 18. So today I have with me wonderful human being who, human being who happens to be uh, our attorney here at Epic Insurance Services, Kevin Galbraith. What's up, Kevin? How you doing, brother? I'm great. Good to see you, Rob. It's so awesome. I've known you now for over three and a half, four years, I think, when I first met you. Sounds right. And uh, Kevin is the person that, and I'm telling you folks, when I'm driving around or I go to bed at night, I feel really safe that there's a team and a person around me in the business that we have because I think that you know, you've seen businesses go out of business even if they were thriving just because they didn't have the right kind of counsel. Right. I'm sure it comes up from time to time. It, it does. It does. Having the right team in place and making sure that you have the right framework, the right legal framework in place as you're launching. Yeah. That's what allows you to focus on what you should be focusing on, which is your business. Yeah. Let other people make sure the legal piece is in place, empowers you to do your business. And Kevin, let me ask you a question, because I was probably this person. Is there a lot of people that don't do it just because they're thinking about cost or they think they know better? Like, is that kind of the typical thing that happens early on in the game? It is. It's And first, you know, frankly, it's understandable, right? Yeah. When you're starting a business, the last thing you want to do is pay, you know, legal fees left and right. Yep. So I consider that penny wise pound foolish uh, because... Yes, you can go online and find a form of yeah. an agreement. <laughs> yes, you can Google something and think that you know the right answer to a legal question. Yeah. Can you actually get expert legal advice that is tailored to you by doing a Google search? You can't. Yeah. And how long um, have you been have how long have you been in practice? I've been practicing about 20 years yep. and I launched my own firm about 10 years ago. Amazing. So so what's amazing is uh, Kevin just talked about Google and something that gives you an answer to something else. And you know, I've seen things pop up in our world right now that when I look at agreements that we have, right, and I look at how whenever we engage in new relationships, the importance of what those agreements look like mm -hmm. and how powerful they are when you least expect it, by the way. Mm -hmm. And you always have to have the mindset, not paranoia, which is self-destroyer, but par you have to have the <laughs> mindset of at any point, if you're not I dot and T cross it, even by accident, something can pop up. So always be prepared for that. But long before we get into the last 20 years, where are you from and where did it all start? Sure. So I was born in Vermont. Really? Uh, where? I'm a New Englander, born in Burlington, Vermont. 
Wow. I can't wait to talk about Vermont with you. Go ahead. Lived there about seven years, moved around a little bit as a kid. So lived outside Buffalo for four years after that. Yep. And then moved to just outside Hartford, Connecticut. So the cold weather doesn't scare you. Doesn't scare me at all. As a matter of fact, you thrive in the cold weather, I bet. I thrive in the cold weather to an extent. Okay. Now I followed my wife to Minnesota, lived there for five years. That's a little much. Is it more than Vermont? Oh, it's way worse. I didn't know that. We, we had weeks where it didn't even get up to zero. Oh, that's no good. That's not fun. No. But you so, can legally represent somebody in the cold weather, I bet. <laughs> Versus someone in Florida that might not be able to have that skill set if it was outside. Uh, <laughs> so. I love it. And you could probably tell from my savage tan that I was just in Florida, however. Were you really? I was. I was in Miami you know, for a day and a half. You all look like it. No. Oh, only a day and a half, though. That's different. I, I'm, I'm a sunscreen fanatic. Yes. And I'm sure there's good reason to it. Yes. So uh, grew up in Vermont, Buffalo, early years. What, what did your parents do? Uh, my mom is was she's a she's a retired nurse. Okay, um, sure. and my dad was a public health official. He was the state epidemiologist for Vermont, helping wow. people with toxic hazards, infant mortality, drug addiction, AIDS, and so on. How was he helping with drug addiction? Just because I'm sober since 1996, so that stood out. So he was all about harm reduction. Uh, he was, uh, you know, a senior public health official in Hartford, Connecticut, and then in Vermont, where they have serious crystal meth and heroin problems, both places, wow. as well as crack back in the 80s and 90s. And for him, it is about keeping people safe and alive mm -hmm. while they deal, hopefully, with those addiction, uh, those underlying addiction issues. So it was quite controversial, actually. Um, he wanted needle exchange programs so people weren't getting and spreading AIDS yep. uh, while they were in the throes of addiction. Amazing. Uh, very inspiring career, all, all about public service. Any siblings? Yeah, I'm the youngest of three. I've you are a, the youngest. Okay. I do. Yep. All right. And, and are the older siblings in the same game you're in, or are they... Very different. I'm actually the first lawyer in my family and and I believe the only business person in my direct family. Got so it. my sister is a dean of faculty at St. Michael's College up in Burlington, Vermont. I know St. Michael's. And my brother has been a public school teacher in Philadelphia for 25 plus years. Wow, that's amazing. And where do your parents live now? They live back in Vermont now. They moved to Shelburne, Vermont about 10, 12 years ago. Interesting. Do you get back there a lot just to see your parents? Or do, you do. Do, other, do you have your own property there? or No property there. Uh, still love it. I'm a Vermonter, uh, Green Mountain boy uh, at my heart. So I get back whenever I can, uh, but awesome. certain, mostly to see my parents. You know, it's interesting. When I went to college in Vermont, and as you folks know that I am sober one day at a time, but mm -hmm. during that time I wasn't. Mm -hmm. And um, I discovered the meaning of life one night at Hell Night, which was my fraternity, pledging new fraternity people in. Okay. And needless to say that I was in a different stratosphere yes. mentally. And for one second, I figured out what the game of life was, but I don't remember what it was. That's my, <laughs> that's, that's the, one of my Vermont stories. <laughs> that's, um, that's the don't problem. Remember, I was there for four years <laughs> and uh, it was the funnest time in my life, but I don't have a lot of memories from it. Yeah. So, which meant that, you know, I, I had to make some changes, which I did and we talk about it often. And I think life is, um, adversity is life's gymnasium. I always, I always talk about that. One of my mentors mm -hmm. shared that with me and, and it really comes down to being able to overcome certain obstacles that if we look at them as gifts versus, you know, something that's stopping us from growing, I think that's the difference. It's the small stuff, the difference between, I'll use the word success and non-success. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say failure, optimal or suboptimal. Mm -hmm. hey, so no, you, you and I have that in common. Right. It's the the one of the phrases that I love is the blessing of a skinned knee. Mm. Right. We're we're parents. Right. You've, you've got kids. I've got kids. Never heard that one. Overcoming adversity, 
right? Getting back up. It's not how many times you get knocked down. It's how many times you get back up. Amazing. Um, That's the kind of thing. And yes, our instinct is to protect our kids, protect our employees, protect all the people around us at all costs. But sometimes that adversity is, as you said, a gift. Yeah, yeah. Right? It it teaches you that I can overcome this. I I can do this. The goal to that point is... like we, yeah, adversity is all. I'm late. How do I get there early? Versus like something that hits you in the face. Mm-hmm. The faster you could understand that it's a gift and not stay stuck in that belief that oh, woes me. Because mm-hmm. your brain, if you say why did this happen to me, is going to show you why it happens mm-hmm. over your life history. Mm-hmm. So you want to be able to make sure that you overcome that as fast as possible. Love and, that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So you went to uh, you were in grammar school basically in Vermont. Buffalo area. Where'd you go to high school and into college? Simsbury High School, just about 20 minutes north of Hartford. And, oh, then, and then on to Connecticut College. Um, UConn. Are you a UConn fan? I, I love UConn, but it is a, di- it is a different school. Yeah. So when it, comes to, when it comes to basketball, I'm happy to be UConn. Yeah. I uh, grew up rooting for the women. The men are making an incredible run this March Madness. Um, you know the coach is my relative through marriage. I heard that from I learned yeah. that from listening to one of your other episodes. Yeah, Fan, yeah. fantastic. Yeah, it's amazing. So he's, proud of what he's doing. It's well, incredible. he's brought the program back to where it ought to be. Yeah, uh, yeah. He's, and, and the men, the girls program, as you know, although the they lost dominant, recently, is insane. Dominant, seen dominant for decades. No, incredible. Wow. So college, um, high school. Did you play sports? I did. I played tennis and I did cross country skiing. Those were my varsity sports, but basketball has always been my first love. And I still, I still Dude, play. I never knew that. Yeah. I, 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 did you tell me that before? I've you never told you that. Listening. And I've never told you that. You really love basketball. And, and at age almost 53, I probably shouldn't play anymore, but I still love it. You know, I stopped playing at 30 because I couldn't play like a normal person. Okay. Like I look, I could, like as you were, a grown man, I couldn't without. The, com- the competitive you side get too was too much. Yep. And then I thought I was going to like, you know, have like a massive injury. Well, you know, very, based few, on- <laughs> very few people's basketball careers end at my age without a catastrophic injury. 53, <laughs> that is impressive. I'll, I play the old man's game now. That's okay. I, I can rebound. Go I, foul line to foul line? I go foul line to foul line. I've got a nice jump shot yep. and I find my teammates. Now, did you play in high school or you just love the game? Just play pickup. Got it. Just love the game. The whole time, like college, when you're studying for... Never quit. Yeah. So um, where do you go to school? Where do you go to college? Went to Connecticut College, studied government, uh, just like poli sci, uh, but government and history. And then... Uh, then worked for, sorry, you had a question. No, no, no. Was a lawyer development at that point? No. Or was he always there? That's, so that's the funny thing. My parents will tell you because I like to argue that the lawyer's always been in there. Got it. It took me a little bit further, longer to figure that out. So I worked for about seven years after college before I even went to law school. Okay. So I worked in publishing. I love writing. I love the written word. Um, but I also love being part of a team. So writing, editing, publishing, Amazing. pretty solitary work. So realized, looked at my bookshelves, said, man, everything I'm reading is about civil rights history, legal history, mm. the founding of the United States. Wow. Maybe law school is calling out to me. So I went to law school, came to New York City, uh, went to Fordham University, became mm. a Ram, and, uh, and I'm one of those happy lawyers. I love what I do. So to learn about how America was formed and learn about the civil rights movement, and I know, you know, we have a window here, but can you talk a little bit about that stuff that, you know, maybe some 
people like me just don't understand. That we sure. don't see that we're just controlled daily by the narrative of the news. So what spoke to me is this country was founded on some really uh, inspirational and important ideals, right? Treating people equally, mm. uh, equal justice under the law, a fair shot, the opportunity to come to the United States and make the best of your life, deliver that best life to your family. Mm. All those things spoke to me. Now, has our country always been consistent with those founding ideals? No. Right. We're a work in progress. That's why we needed the Emancipation Proclamation. That's why we needed the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act in the mm -hmm. 60s. It's why we continue to need help to get ourselves toward those founding ideals to where everybody is truly equal under the law. Everybody has equal access to justice. Those things spoke to me and said, you can you can be part of that mm -hmm. and you can help people who want equal justice and mm. want uh, want access to the court system, want to be protected from the law, right? Sometimes the government overreaches and mm. people need help from, you know, say, uh, super aggressive regulators coming after them yeah. or even law, law enforcement's coming after them. Mm. All those people need help too, and they deserve it. Um, so all of those things about the founding ideals as well as, um, you know, Equal rights, civil rights, that all spoke to me for a bunch of reasons we could talk about over over uh, wow. over coffee sometime. And when you talk um, about civil rights, you're talking about, you know, women vote in the 60s, that kind of stuff. Like, like Yeah. So I'm a big fan of, like, you know, what happened in the I, I Honestly, I'll be real. I love Malcolm X's work mm -hmm. when I learned that whole story. Yep. Right? Uh, MLK, obviously, a lot of people talk about his speech, which yep. is one of the greatest speeches of all time. Mm -hmm. Right? You know, JFK was trying to do what he would like mm -hmm. the, the game within the game during that 10 year period was mm -hmm. insane. So and, and so growing up in suburban Hartford, uh, there weren't a lot of families who had the autobiography of Malcolm X, yep. Eldridge Cleaver's Soul on Ice uh, had those on their bookshelves. Those were on our bookshelves because that's stuff that my family was always committed to. My, wow. my grandfather was an, a, a religious leader, and he led his congregation to the March on Washington to hear Dr. Wow. King speak in, in 1963. Um, that always made an impression on me. He's a hero within our family, and those ideals uh, flowed all the way down. Yeah. You know, I, don't, I have not lived my life in a way that is uh, solely devoted to civil rights and, and human rights like he did. But it's still important to me, and it's still work that I try to be helpful with. Yeah, it's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So, so that was part of you know obviously your fabric, right? And now uh, seven years. What, what were you doing for seven years at the college? I was working in publishing, so I worked so at a, lonely. At, was it? Yeah, you know, did you I read a lot. Like, yeah, read a ton, wrote a ton, edited. I sat there with my blue pencil and I copy edited manuscripts. I wrote. I published stuff, and I, there are parts of it that I loved. Um, but I, I said, is this, is this the best fit for my personality? I'm pretty gregarious. I love to be around people. I love to help people solve problems. Um, the written word is a beautiful thing and I still take great pride in my writing. Um, but realized that it wasn't a, a career fit for me. I'm sure you're proud of everything, but is there any pieces that you published that you're really proud of? Or is there anything you published it better than you thought it would? Or, or sure, like that? sure. The, the first... And can they find it? <laughs> oh, gosh. How, how does that work? If somebody really, if we're talking to someone that's like you, right? How, like, how does the internet work, Rob? Can you can you find a piece that I published I 28 know. years ago? I just in learned a... about the internet yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I think you probably can. Um, the, the, the legal work that I've published that I really enjoyed was something I did in law school. It's yeah. about the constitutional history of the copyright clause that yeah. I know you can find. The work that I did on sports and music was probably closer to my heart. Uh, right. I wrote about a high school basketball sensation who went on to play at Stanford. Uh, I wrote about a band uh, that I loved in Minneapolis. Do you still do stuff like this? Dude, like, uh, like if you want to write about Epic Leads AU program, which is brand new and it's catching massive momentum, absolutely. Wow, my, and my son played AU hoops, uh, so yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big fan. I'm a, you and I both have lots of interests outside of our businesses. Yeah, I'm a huge music person and a huge sports person. Amazing. Who's your favorite sports team? College basketball, UConn. Oh, uh, it's a, it's a Celtics. It's a tale of woe, Rob. Yeah. Uh, so yes, UConn is the only team that I really root for that wins a lot. Yep. My other favorite teams are the Next. Minnesota Vikings, which are 0 for four in Super Sorry. Bowls. Yeah. Uh, and the Buffalo Bills, oh, also boy. 0 for four in Super Bowls. Sorry. Now, until I was 34, mm -hmm. I was also a basking in the futility of being a Boston Red Sox fan. Wow. Now they win every few years. Yeah. So it's it's a bit different. You put your time in. Yes, I put yeah, my time that's in. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> Have you, do you go to a lot of baseball games? Uh I go to Mets games. Sometimes I go to sometimes I go to Yanks games. Uh my son's up at school in Boston, so I get to Fenway whenever I can up yeah. there. How I've about, never been to Fenway. Oh my gosh. I heard it's unbelievable. Let's go together. Yeah, it's a great place. I'm a Celtics fan. Steelers fan growing up because my brother was a Raiders fan. Yep. I'm a 70s kid. Yep. Um, Steelers, they won like four and five years, right? But I was little. And I suffered yeah. literally from age 10 to 2005 to 30. I suffered for 25 okay. years. Yeah, you put some time in. I did. I had to put a lot of time <laughs> in. And then I, I, I had the good fortune of going to the games, though. So I went to the Love Super Bowl that. in 05. That was amazing yep. by the way seeing them win i couldn't even handle the game it was so like crazy yep because like you're you're putting all that vested time as a fan in <laughs> to get there and lose would be like terrible you know the feeling i, I basically don't sit when i watch high stakes sporting events i just i stand and i pace it's not fun there's nothing <laughs> fun of it and then you get a minute of glory right <laughs> that's about it then the next thing you know you're in the first week of the next season and, and they're getting punched in the face yeah that's about it um Wow, I didn't know that, Kev. That's, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, not, I, sh I should do a better job at asking questions. Well, um, the, but the but the team aspect of it, both, whether we're talking about sports or music, the team aspect, listening, mm. right, looking for your teammates, how can you make each other better? Yep. that's part of it that resonates with yeah. me too. And you know, a lot of people talk about sports build character, sports do this for kids and that. It's a fact. Yeah, it does. <laughs> right? Talk about adversity. Talk about dealing with losing. Yeah. Uh, talking about trying to find people and lift them up. Yep. It's all great. Especially it's if you don't feel good. Life. You want to lift people up, right? Yeah. And it's okay for people to help you too. But, you know. So listen, here's the thing. So seven years of doing what you were doing, it, it, mm -hmm. I feel, mm -hmm. I want to hear what you're going to say, that you were pretty certain on what you wanted to do next. Yes. Once you got to law school. So you yes. knew what? So I knew I wanted to be a lawyer. I went into law school with a pretty open mind, uh, right? I thought about civil rights, so I did a civil rights clinic. I helped people get asylum, fleeing you know abusive regimes in West Africa. Mm. I helped people deal with housing discrimination in Queens. Um, loved that part of it. And then once I got out into, I graduated and I got out into my first law firm, I was exposed to a whole different set of uh, legal issues, fact patterns, types of clients, L worked with some really talented people, learned a ton, 
And then 10 years into my career, I said, I think I know enough that I can go out on my own. Wow. I, I can launch, I can do this. Um, and thankfully I was right. And so that's 10 and 10, right? Yeah. And the last 10, how's that been for you? Last 10 Because the world has changed like a lot every minute. Oh, it's so <laughs> fast. Like the speed of change is not like, how do, how do, how do you even keep up with it? I mean, I, I read all the time. Yeah. Uh, I read all the time. And you just have, you have to stay connected. Yeah. So I have a, a whole network of people that I'm in touch with constantly. Uh, I learn from them. Yeah. Right. Yes, I like know. Like a networking, like a, like a mastermind group of yeah. attorneys. Yeah. And a, and a couple of them. Yeah. Uh, both formal and informal. Right. I know a lot. I, I have plenty to share. But I also recognize that there's a whole lot of people out there who know a ton more than I do mm. about certain topics. And let's exchange information. Let's make each other smarter. It's amazing. Um, so I love it. I always say it was the best business decision I ever made was to go out on my own. The best decision I ever made was, of course, getting married to my wife. Yes. Um, but the best business decision I ever made was going out on my own. Um, so now I've been able to build a small firm and, you know, I'm able to build that in my vision, be consistent with my values, treat people like they deserve to be treated and want to be treated, mm. put out of our door only the highest quality legal legal work, um, take the clients that I want to work with, so turn you, down clients that I don't want to work with. That's what with. I was going to ask you. What is your, how, how many people are part of your team? Uh, so like all, you know, internal, like what does your, your world look like? Sure. So, so people who are part of the Galbraith Law Firm, three, and then I've got, uh, project folks who have worked with us in the past who I bring on for specific the, projects like GCs and like you're a GC and you're bringing on. Yeah, like, yeah. that's a, that's a good analogy. Yeah. Um, and then I co-counsel cases. So on probably a quarter to a third of my cases, I bring on other law firms with other areas. And of that's expertise. normal, right? For attorneys, unless they uh, have a major law firm in each division. Yeah, it, it is normal, right? It allows me to build bandwidth yeah. and it allows me to leverage on those relationships and they can help me, I can help them. Yeah. So what are some of the things that you decide if you're going to work with a client or not? Like if you're just speaking, you know, not specific, but like how do you yeah. pick and choose? Sure. And I don't want to. I want. I don't want to go too far. And I want to make sure that I'm honoring what you do. So that's why. I, Absolutely. Yeah. No. As, and you're right. Every every client relationship yeah. is entirely confidential. So yeah. I'll say, as a general matter, um, just like in a whole lot of other parts of life, fit is key. Mm. Right. The personalities have to mesh. I have to. The 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 client has to like and want to work with me, yep. and vice versa. Yeah. So do we build a rapport easily? Do they, are they responsive? Um, when I ask for things, are they able to provide them, you know, reasonably promptly mm. on the flip side? Do I pick up the phone when they call? Yeah. Do I give does. quality, thoughtful legal advice when I'm asked for it? He does. Right. <laughs> all the, all those expectations that every client. <laughs> I'm not recommending, but he does. Every, every expectation that a smart client has of a lawyer yep. i want to meet and exceed that he does um so it's it's about fit uh for me it's also you know frankly it's about bandwidth right yeah. i've got a small firm yep. i've got you know say 25 or 30 active matters in the firm at any one time yep. if i go to 40 or 50 i'm not treating every client with the level out, of right? expectation or the level of uh care that they deserve yeah so i don't do that yeah and did it take you long to realize that or you knew that already? Like, did, um, you, did you actually step into that deep water a little bit? 
and then have to pull back because of that? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think because I had practiced at bigger firms for 10 years before I went on my own, I saw that lesson yeah. uh, and I and I learned that object lesson by watching others. Yeah. Um, now, yes, when I first started my firm, do I want to say yes to everybody? Yeah. Do I want to do I want to sign up every prospective Absolutely. client comes in? Of course, that's the instinct. But very quickly, you realize, OK, I've got a small team here. There's only 24 hours in the day. Let's mm -hmm. make sure that we keep it keep it right. And your team is in the same mindset, right? Oh, 100 yeah. percent. And, and you know, frankly, part of how we hire is a huge part of how we hire is always about fit. Right. That. Is this somebody who is going to pick up the phone? Is this somebody who my clients are going to like working with? Right. Because we spend a lot of time with some of our clients. Are they going to are they going to get along? Are they all pulling in the same direction or are they using sharp elbows because they want to get ahead? Yep. There's enough of that in the world. Yep. I don't want that at my firm. I don't need that at my firm. In a world far away, in a different mastermind group, not saying you. But when you talk to other people, what do they say about things that they like or don't like about how clients act with attorneys? Mm, how clients this act. This wouldn't be you, of course. This is somebody else. Got it. Yeah, I think a, a pretty common frustration with attorneys as it, as it relates to their clients is, are you being open with me? Are you being totally transparent? Yep. Are you sharing everything that I need to know? Or are you trying to kind of game it? and share only enough so that I give you the answer you want to hear. That that's not that's not helpful because I we lawyers can't help clients who are not transparent and open with them. And the that's clients a, have what they call AC privilege, so why wouldn't they tell you everything? Correct. And and it's a great right? it's I mean, a, yeah, it's a it's a great question <laughs> and there's no good answer to it. Is it that they're just trying to to your point they want to hear what they want to hear. They I want they either want to hear what they want to hear or that maybe there's some part of the story that they're not proud of. Yeah, uh, they don't feel comfortable sharing it. Uh, one of the first things I say when I talk to any client or even prospective client, everything we say is confidential and privileged, whether yeah. you hire me or not. Yeah. So please, let's just have an open conversation. Is some of your work, do you depose people? Is there some of that going on for sure. you? And, and how is that technique? Like, is that, that sounds like to me a game of psychology because mm -hmm. now you're playing a game of questions, mm -hmm. right? And then you're taking notes and, more questions to come back to the first question to say, well, you said this before. Mm -hmm. um, is there any times that where people actually were being honest, but because they didn't articulate it the right way, they can get trapped up in some of their answers? Sure, that, that can happen. So um, if there's a good attorney that may not be, I'm not going to say not doing good, but they're representing their client, mm -hmm. tripping somebody up would be part of, I would assume, the game within the game. It, it can be. And you're definitely right that there's a lot of psychology to it. Yeah. Um, I find that lawyers tend to have, or many lawyers tend to have a very high opinion of themselves. <laughs> and they they think that if only I could be across the table from this person, yeah. I'm going to get them. I'm going to trip them up. I'm gonna, whatever they're going to do. Yeah. What it's really about, Rob, is preparation. Mm. Do I know my facts as well as they can be known? Have I read all my documents as carefully as they need to be read? Yep. Once you're empowered with that level of information, knowledge, and preparation, mm -hmm. then you're ready to ask a series of great questions and uh, get to the truth. I find this really interesting. This is like I'm really having a lot of fun here. Me too. Um, in all good ways. I think that, you know, when it comes to attorneys or, you know, fiduciaries or, or even just guys like me, mm -hmm. you know, insurance agents mm -hmm. or entrepreneurs, one of the things I don't like to do 
is there's a time when I want to decompress and not talk about work. Mm-hmm. But there was a time that wasn't the case. I was always on. Mm. I think I'm I think I'm at a different stage right now where I do like to just talk about something silly mm-hmm. and specifically not talk about work. But there's a lot of people that are around me that always want to know certain things. And all good. It's not. It's a good thing. It's not sure. a bad thing. How do you turn it off? How do you recharge besides sleep, besides working out? I'm just about the mental, mm-hmm. and I know that's part of it. But how do you create like those boundaries on just hey, I just want, I'm Kevin. I'm playing basketball right now. Mm. I don't really yeah. want to talk about like a, a business proposal. Or yeah, <laughs> buy sell agreement. It know? can be a challenge, and you know, as an entrepreneur, that your mind is always on. Yeah. Right, you're always looking for another opportunity. How can I improve my business? But if you're gonna last at it. Right, I'm almost 53. If I'm gonna last at this, bro, another AARP, bro. You got the emails? <laughs> I sure do. Yep. If, AARP, everybody. If I'm gonna last at this and continue to love this, I have to be able to turn it off. Yeah. So for me, I've got a couple of very simple ways to do it. One is to play a sport. Yeah. Right. If the if the if a jump shot is being shot in your face and you haven't contested it, you better pay closer attention to the basketball game you're playing. That's right. If somebody's across the net and hits a nasty passing shot and you didn't anticipate it, so you didn't get to it, nope. not great. You got to work on your game. My, my other piece is music. I love music. I sing. Now what kind I, of music? So I play and sing uh, rock and roll and blues. Really? Um, and when you're picking up your guitar and you're singing and you're harmonizing with your bandmates and you're listening for the one from your drummer, you're not thinking about business. Do you have a band? I do. Really? Do you guys do. play a lot? Uh, practice a we lot? practice a lot, and we are starting to play more and more. Next awesome. next gig is in July. You should get a YouTube channel. Yeah, great idea. That's how you, you get it out there faster. Love it. We have a website, but it doesn't have a YouTube link, so that's you next. Get a YouTube channel. Just have somebody come in and film everything. Yep, Why love, the, doing love that idea. Can I get credit for that or no? Of course. So here, special here, special thanks to Rob Gill for all the inspiration. Yes. <laughs> so here's my question. I do a thing all the time and everybody's doing it. It's called, I'll say I'm not confused. Right? And I'll use it in a way where, like everyone says I'm not confused. Mm-hmm. I get it. But mm-hmm. when someone's making a point, I'll say something like, yeah, I'm not confused. I get it. Got it. Or the other thing I made up is fake confusion. Like when somebody knows something, just happened in the, in the office over there. When somebody knows something and it's like, oh, we, you mean like, oh, now I get it. But they always know it. Mm. We call that fake confusion. Okay. How do I trademark that? <laughs> right, Dan? You, you, you use it. Okay, so there, there's an actual answer, which I, I, is a which is a boring answer. Right. But there's a very simple procedure for getting a, a, a trademark through the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. And would you do that for anyone? It's is that it, part it's, of your? It's a simple enough process. Okay. I'm happy to help. Awesome. So you're building something awesome. I love it. Where do you see yourself in the next five or ten years? Like, what does it look like for you, um, who clearly has a passion to serve and help people? No mm-hmm, doubt about it. Mm-hmm. What does it look like the next five or 10, 15 years? Yeah, no, you're, the way you phrase the question is so important. Um, so I see myself continuing to love what I do to continue to build the business and thrive and grow along with my team. Yep. Um, when you say to continue to help to serve, mm. I would love to be able to carve out more time to get back into doing more pro bono work. Mm. Some of the most satisfying work I've ever done is with some of the some of the uh, asylum seekers that I mentioned earlier. Amazing. Um, I, I helped overturn a wrongful conviction years ago. Really? That type of work is so important. It's part of why I got into it. But when you're running a business, sometimes that can fall to the wayside. It's it's hard to carve out the time to do that. So I would love to get to a position where I could do more of that again. 
So you overturned the conviction. What mm -hmm. made you want to take the case? Uh, because somebody, uh, a colleague, had dug into the facts of the case and persuaded me that it was a wrongful conviction. Uh, it was a paralegal at a law firm. Yeah. And she read an article. She started digging into it. And she said, Kevin, and, and named a couple of other colleagues and said, would you be interested in working on this? Yeah. All right. My answer is always, I'll take a look. Yeah. I took a look. I was persuaded that it, in fact, was a wrongful conviction. Blatantly persuaded or it was just a little dice roll? Because it, it takes a lot to flip a it was flip not. A it was not a dice roll. We okay. had we had forensic scientific, scientific evidence wow. that the conviction never should have happened. Got it. And and. And I'm just asking, I'm not because I, I don't know what I don't know. Is there like when, whenever you're in a situation like that and the folks that made the initial call, mm. is there a level of like blockage and a level of like game gamesmanship that you have to overcome um, that could it, and some folks could be insurmountable, not you, but other folks may kind of bow out of it because of that. Sure. And, you know, in that case, I'll say there was there were roadblocks put up. Uh, they didn't want to hear it. Yep. They didn't want to question the decisions that they had made to prosecute in the first place. And what made it extra difficult was there had already been layers of appeal that had been turned down. Got it. So we had to actually start a fresh proceeding and persuade a federal judge that there was newly discovered evidence. And that's hard, right? It's really hard. Yeah, it's it. it's a high bar. There are sadly thousands and thousands of people sitting in jail right now who were never able to persuade a judge uh, that, that that they were wrongfully convicted. That's horrible. But the with the team that we built and the and the resources that the firm put into it to support us to do that pro bono work, that's we, it. We were able to get uh, we were able to get all the way there. So it sounds like to me, if money didn't exist, that's what you'd be doing all day, every day, twice on Sunday. That's about right. Right. Yeah. I get it. Yeah, servant. I love it. So, um, well, thank you for all that. How can folks reach you if they want to have at least a conversation so you could take a look at something to decide if you want to work with them or not? Sure. So uh, my name is Kevin Galbraith. It's the galbraithlawfirm.com. Uh, always happy to talk to people. We do free consultations. Give me a call. Number's on the website. Look forward to speaking with people who might need legal services. And what kind of services specific do you want to share? Sure. So virtually everything we do is around financial services and insurance. Okay. So I help investors, um, both institutional and individual. I help companies who are trying to navigate choppy waters, who are being investigated by regulators. Um, and I also help people in employment contexts. So say you're trying to leave one firm and go to another, oh. and you would really rather not breach the contracts that you have with that first firm. Wow. You come to me and I help you make sure that you walk that line properly, huh. do everything above board. That part of the practice I call uh, risk mitigation, right? I'm trying to avoid problems. I'm trying to help you have smooth sailing before we get into a litigation. Yeah. And, and if you look at, you've seen a lot with the financial services industry, what is the common thing that you see with the consumer out there today? Um, in general terms, of course, nothing specific that continues to pop up over and over. Mm -hmm. I have my thoughts on it. I'm interested, and I'll, I'll share mine, but I'm interested to see what, what, what you think. Yeah, to me, um, the most common mistake that investors make is investing in things that they don't truly understand. Yeah. Um, and that can be a mortgage-backed security. Yep. That can be a credit default swap, right? If we're talking back in, from the financial 08, 08. crisis of 08, 09. Yep. Um, today, that can be in derivative instruments. It can be in cryptocurrencies. 
uh, right? We've seen huge banks go down just in the last couple of weeks. Uh, and I believe this Warren Buffett said this, if some version of this, if you can't explain your investment to That's somebody, right. you probably don't understand it well enough to be invested in yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that people following the, you know, following the highest yield, following what they think is exploding, yeah. uh, you know, chasing a quick payday is often in you're bringing on risk that you may not have the stomach for. Yep. And that that's one of the biggest pitfalls that I see investors fall so, into now. So does that go back to behavioral finance for you? Psychology? Does that go back to the to not see because I, I firmly believe no matter who you are, if you could have your accountant your attorney, your trust, everybody on the same page. Like, mm -hmm. For at least the benefit of they all have to get together based on what you're looking for. I think if that happens, as, as hard or as boring as that may sound, your decision-making is pretty solid. Yeah. And you'll live by that, mm -hmm. especially when winter comes economically. Yes. Right? And, and probably have opportunities to pick up things at discount. It's a brilliant philosophy, and I think it's why you and I have always resonated, because when you have people aligned and yep. looking out for the best interests of of people who have very specific goals and not everybody's the same. Yeah. When you have people aligned in your corner, you're going to make a whole lot better decisions. And you as, um, you know, have seen a lot in not only that space, but I'm sure in the space of business and partnerships and business and disputes and, mm -hmm. and you know, where businesses or, or companies may break apart because the owners aren't aligned. What are some of the things that owners should be aware of or do as a way, especially if the business is scaling and growing, mm -hmm. on how to stay aligned and, and make sure they're on the same page at all times? Mm -hmm. Yeah, great question. And the timing of when you ask that question is absolutely critical, yep. right? You want to ask it on the front end. Yep. And even though it's boring and even though you probably need to pay a lawyer to get there. That's right. When things are exciting, when the ideas are bubbling, yep. when things are on the verge of getting some rocket fuel and taking off, that's the time to get the legal framework in That's place, right. right? Not after money is pouring in the door and people are being pulled in 16 different directions. Let's take care of it on the front end, right? So you can continue to focus as business partners on making that business succeed, Amazing. not get distracted by the, the legal framework that's hopefully already in place at that point. Yeah. And for you, um, do you ever retire? Is that is that a thought that you would have? Is it consulting? Is it? Um, we know you'd love to do promo work. Promo uh, was it pro bono? Pro bono work. Mm -hmm. Sorry about that. Where do you see like when it's all said and done, and what you're going to be remembered for? Ooh, I mean, I think um, about the one guy whose case or gal was overturned. All I'm thinking is mm -hmm. there's family connected to that person. That family could have a kid, could have a kid, could have a kid that could change the world for the better. Mm -hmm. Like that's how I think mm -hmm. of when I think of people over money, mm -hmm. right? So that's what I look at. Yeah, and people over money is a great way to put it. I want to be remembered for how I treated people and how I made people feel, mm. right? When somebody came in, came through my door as a client or as a friend, did I make them feel good? Did I support them? Did I lift them up? The other thing uh, that that my firm has started to get into in the last couple of years is advocacy whistleblower work. So we're doing work on climate change, mm. working with some amazing partners to try to hold companies accountable for the pledges that they're making around climate change. Yeah. Um, so if I can make a small difference or contribute to making a difference to help um, heal our planet and help it stay healthy so that our kids and grandkids will have Love good it. air to breathe and a climate they can live with, uh, 
love to have that be part of my legacy as well. You know, you that's amazing, by the way, because you talk about, you know, reading a lot, writing a lot. So so I would suspect your level of um, understanding of different vocabulary words is, is probably a, more than above average. So I believe, personally, I learned this from Tony Robbins, that each word has energy mm -hmm. and transformational vocabulary. So for the folks that are out there, they'll, if they're anything like me, they hear the word whistleblower and it almost sounds like you're a rat. Mm. Right. So I think what I, I, I would I would you know I'd like for you to talk to these folks about the importance of a whistleblower, mm -hmm. right, and how it could you know eliminate all kinds of fear and distortion and corruption, mm -hmm. and really move the ball forward. If you don't mind sharing that, because the word whistleblower always comes across, at least to me, mm -hmm. in a negative context. Maybe not somebody else, but at least the importance for somebody younger watching is what, what is a whistleblower, mm -hmm. and, and yeah. how how are they important people. It's a great question, and the fact that it evokes that kind of feeling in you is something I'm very happy to address. Sure. I'm 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 glad to have the opportunity to do it. A whistleblower is essentially you you could think of a whistleblower as an independent referee. Sounds like a superhero. In some ways, they are superheroes. Yeah. Whistleblowers have brought justice to some of the most important issues in our in our company's corporate history. Yeah. So whether it's in the tobacco industry, yep. uh, whether it's in the tech industry, whether it's in politics, whether it's in uh, mm. the meat processing industry, whether it's around child labor, whether it's around lying to the public around climate uh, impact that you're having, um, it is an independent referee comes and says, listen, I know what the rules are. I know what you have said. Yep. I know what the law requires. And I also know that you're not living up to it. Yep. I've gone internally. I've tried to do everything that I can to get the company to do the so right thing. So you got to do those steps first. You got to do those steps you can't first. Just do, you got to make sure you do exhaust all possible. You got to exhaust got all the remedies that you can. That's good. I didn't know that. And then you can go to organizations like the SEC, the CFTC the Department of Justice, and you can say, listen, I've done everything I can. Now I need the power of government to yeah. come in and make this company do the right thing because mm. the stakes are very high. Yeah. The whistleblowers are subject to retaliation all the time. Yep. Uh, that in itself is a legal violation, by the way. Um, whistleblowers are courageous people. Yeah. Um, they stand up for what they know is right. They Justice. have very strong ethics. And they are willing to sometimes sacrifice their careers and even their safety to shine a light on some wrongdoing. Amazing. Well, thank you for sharing that, brother. And by the way, if anyone has any questions, feel free to ask below. Comments, feel free to add below. Uh, don't forget to click and subscribe. We're dropping, you know, every day or every other day. There's either a short form video or there's a new there's a new interview. And I think that if you understand the importance of your business. Um, you know, you want to have a good marketing, you want to have a good structure, you want to have good, you know, board of directors, you want to make sure that everything is lined up. But to me, one of the most, if not the most important thing is compliance and a legal arm of your business. Because if you don't have either of those, you're going to be running east looking for a sunset. And when you find out that the sun's not set in the east, it's already too late because you're not on the moon. You're in New York. So, or New wherever on the east coast. So, um, Kev, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank and, you. Uh, one last time, if they want to get with you, how, how do they get with you? They can go to my website, thegalbraithlawfirm.com or Kevin, Kevin Galbraith Law. Yeah, G-A-L-B-R-A-I-T-H. So galbraithlawfirm.com. My mm. phone number's on there. Happy to take an email, phone call, however you like. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kev. I appreciate it. Thank you, Rob. I appreciate your time. You got it, my friend. 
That's it for today with Rob Gill and the Epic Financial Strategies Podcast. Be sure to hop to iTunes or Spotify to subscribe and tune into all the podcasts. Also, be sure to follow the Rob Gill YouTube channel and Rob Gill social media channels. We'll see you on the next podcast.